everyone, and welcome back to The Station Tapes. I'm your host, Lewis Marks. I am here at the old train station just outside the great city of Philadelphia, known as the Rope-A-Dope Room. Uh, the Station Tapes features casual and personal discussions with great musicians from around the world, and today is no exception. A great conversation coming. My guest is bassist and composer Bakiti Kumalo. Bakiti grew up in the hard times of apartheid in Soweto, South Africa, and he shares with us his experience growing up and his path to music, eventually joining Paul Simon on the Graceland album and tour, and then, of course, many others to follow over the next, uh, over the next years. His new album, What You Hear Is What You See, is due out on rope dope on October 22nd. It's in pre-order now at bikitikumalo.bandcamp.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. My great pleasure and honor today to to welcome to welcome the great Bakiri Kumalo on uh, you know one day after the 35th anniversary of Graceland and this is a celebrated time. Bakiri, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Louis. I'm good. Thank you, Rupa Dope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We do. We, we try. Thank you for gracing us uh, with with this beautiful music. Um, your album, What You Hear Is What You See, is uh, coming out here at rope dope uh, on October 27th of 2021 with uh, the first single on September 17th with a uh, pre-order uh, available for people. Uh, if you're tuning in to this podcast, uh, this video, we are going to ask the obvious questions of Mr. Kamalo about uh, uh, Paul Simon, but we're not going to start there. So uh, stay tuned. We're, we won't dwell too much. Um, I want to go all the way back, if we can begin, uh, and if you don't mind. Um, we try to tell a little bit of history here, and I see that you were born in Soweto. So Let's let's start with what Soweto stands for and set the scene, if you could. Can you t tell us what your early life was like there in South Africa? Yes. First of all, I would say um, I was born like in Alexander Township, which is about you know twenty minutes away from Johannesburg City, mm -hmm. because that's where my to work uh, work as a maid, cleaning homes. And, uh, and then once I was born, and then my mother took me to my grandmother's house in Soweto. Ah. Um, that's where my life started, because I was raised by my grandmother and my grandfather. And, uh, and then Soweto, as I was growing up, it was a lot going on with the culture, with everything. And I grew up in a, in a house where there was like 17 people living in the house and four-room house, two bedrooms, and one dining room, and a kitchen. And uh, so cousins, aunt, uncles, you know, grandmother, everybody lived in that house. And then, of course, you know, with the system being, you know, it was amazing well, during what, that time. And I was young. 
Yeah, I want to interject because I think a lot of people today, we just hear the name Soweto and, and, and uh, younger folks may not know the history. So uh, in uh, the 50s, 1950s, uh, the system of apartheid was, was instituted, correct? Uh, and townships, Southwest Township, um, it, it were created and people were literally segregated and boxed in. Is that correct? Yes, true. Because if each and every part of the township, there was a police station system to control people. Everybody was fence, you know, pretty much like almost like chicken. In a cage, know? yeah. And cage, exactly. And uh, so that they can control, you know, the people. And, you know, of course, there was a lot of uh, things going on. You know, uh, there was a lot of culture. That's even the own people living together. You know, it was hard to understand each and everyone's language because we were never taught, you know, I would live with a neighbor that speak different languages, you know, so it's like, wow, it, it, it was, yeah. And the police presence was, the police presence was, was constant, was it not? 24 hmm. seven, every day, you know, I mean, like you couldn't walk out the street unless you have some type of permit. There's a thing it's called uh, uh, the bus. Pass was like uh, uh, you have like an ID, mm -hmm. but you have to have that to have a stamp to show that you are registered. You working where you working? All that is you know. When you have that, you don't have a problem. But if you don't have that, they're gonna find out why you don't have that. Why you you have a pass? You don't have a stamp. You don't have a job, and what's going on? But, you know, thinking about it, there was so many things going on. You know, the crime also was building up from just among their own people, mm -hmm. you know, because of the temptation. You know, you don't have a job, you have a family to feed, you got to go rob somebody, you know. And then the system, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of chaotic. And, uh, you know, but then it was up to people how to handle that. So it I mean, <laughs> it, it was a town that you, you need to know. And you need to know how to fight everything. Yeah. You need to know about the town. Where is the bad part of the township not to go, you know, and good part of the township. But for me, it was very challenging. I got robbed and I almost got hit a couple of times because I was going to different part of the township where there was music mm. because I was interested. If they tell me there's a band playing like, you know, about five miles or 10 miles away, I'm going to walk there, but I got to keep ducking. The, the, the mean young people who are desperate, you know, yeah. and then, but really never stopped me on my focus, what the, what I needed. And once I reached the destiny where those other musicians playing, then I stay with them, you know, because there's not much place for me to live at home because there's so many people. So if I uh, join the band and then they have to play with me, I stay there, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, and it just went on and on until about, you know, 12, 13, uh, 14 years old, before the uh, June 16, 1976, the uh, uh, uprising. I was in Zulu, and then I got stuck there for about 16 months. I couldn't come home hmm. because I joined the band, and I couldn't write. I didn't have a phone. I mean, you know, it was still, it was still really dark. So I go to uh, Zululand and I got stuck uh, with the band and then our tr truck that we took to Zululand broke and uh, we got really stranded. So wow. you can't come home, so you gotta depend on the locals, people. 
to ask for help at the same time to be careful because you, you're in a different place that you know anything can happen <laughs> it was a challenge but for me it was about music but one interesting thing that happened to me it's when i had a dream in in zululand during that struggle of time you know as a kid 14 years old and i dream a man playing the bass uh i couldn't see the head but i see the hands the way he was playing the bass for me i was playing with the thumb everything was about the thumb but i see this man playing with the fingers i've never seen anybody play like that because i was in south africa it's either the peak right or the or the the pick or the or, or the thumb or know? the thumb okay you play with yeah because of the traditional music but when i saw that dream and i saw the guy playing with the fingers then i woke up the next day so that was my beginning of okay now you gotta practice don't worry about the struggle you in Zululand, there's a lot of sugar cane around and there's a lot of orange trees just ask for a piece of bread and then grab orange and you know and eat so so you can survive for another day i mean we got really really crazy and uh, and then the food was was very scarce but my thing was to introduce myself to the local people and get fed and, and get to know the the uh, the village people than knowing the city people because city was chaotic so zululand was kind of Nice in a way because it was less trouble. Less urban, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was just like you know, in the middle of nowhere, and then every everybody was amazing, and the music was unbelievable. That's why I had a chance to to spend time with these people and playing their music, you know. And but I had to really learn from there and just grow until I get a chance to go back home. But once I got a chance to go home, and it was a different thing at home. My mother, she hasn't seen me in like 16 months. And she was freaking out because she thought I was dead. And, you know, wow. and, but some of the family members, they're like, no, that's him. It just looks bad. <laughs> you know, because he has, you know, I haven't been eating well. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, um, come home and my mother, she's like, that's it. No more music. And I said, no, oh, that's boy. not going to happen. Oh boy, that's not gonna happen. I mean, I worked so hard and I tried to explain, but she's like, "No, you cannot do that." And then she starts mentioning Huma Sigella and Miriam McGavin. She says, "Look, you know, Huma Sigella and Miriam they left South Africa for a long time. They never come back home." And I'm like, "Who are they?" Wow, I didn't know. And then she played the music, and uh, you know, like. 1986, now I met you and Miriam, and I played with them on the Graceland tour with uh, Paul yeah. Simon. Yeah. And I, the story, you know, my mother used to sing your songs, and my mother really didn't want me to play music because, you know, I'm going to run away, <laughs> you know. But uh, he was like, no, you didn't run away because you played on the Monster Record, and now you're here, and I'm playing with you, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. But I mean, I had to fight for that and convince my mother. Yeah. But before that, my mother bought me the bass because I didn't even have the bass. Um, so the bass, I used to practice at the music stores when I have a gig to go to the music stores and practice in the music stores until one guy recognized me and says, listen, you cannot come here and play all these instruments. You need to <laughs> buy the instruments. 
Oh, don't come here. Oh, go buy, uh, go play that instrument that nobody wants to play with the fretless bass. So then I got to the fretless and I play, man. I was out of tune like crazy. But and I begged my mother, please, this is the cheapest bass. Can you buy this for me? Oh my god. And she bought it. And after she bought it, I took it to Soweto. Now I'm playing with the township people. Man, I was out of tune like crazy. And the sound was fam not familiar to the local people. And I uh, get kicked out many times, many places, many bands. And, uh, How and then so I changed the I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I wanted to know, like, what? how were you listening to music from outside South Africa at, at that point? Um, you credit, you know, some Motown and you talk about Jocko and, and others in some other interviews. And so how did you find out about them? What what was how were people consuming music? Was it on the radio or? No, the radios, too. It was controlled by the government because mm. they wouldn't play local music. They would play international music to pay the bills, you know, because we have the. Uh, 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 recording studio that owns by the white South Africans. Hmm. You know, and then, but we'll play that music on the radios so that, you know, people can listen to it and pay the bills. But for us, it was like, wow, they're sending me to heaven with this baseline, James Jameson. Hmm. I'm going to land this in a small radio, like, <laughs> you know, really tiny radio. Wow. You know, and I listen to the bass, but I mean, I couldn't play like him, but just the approach of the music, the song is five minutes long. You got a lot of work to do, you know. So for me, it was about the approach and how you make the bass stay in the pocket. And uh, so that really helps my South African music uh, to, to, to create a bass line. And then also, too, because in South Africa, there were so many tribes. Everybody sings different language and the rhythm changes. So for me, it was like, wow, this is like, you know, just sitting under the the fruit tree where everything is just coming down for you to eat. <laughs> so I had to learn all the, you know, copy the bass lines of the voices when they're passing by, like Lady Smith, Black Mambazo kind of sound, you know, like just, just get that, mm. you know. And after that trip to Zululand and come back, to then back to Zimbabwe. Now I got stuck in eight months in Zimbabwe. That's another story. Wow. The way I met Bob Marley. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid we have to we have to cover that story. Uh, so I just want to get a sense. So when when you were uh, stuck in Zululand, what what age were you? How old were you? I was about fourteen and a half. Yeah. Fourteen and a half. Yeah. That sets some very important context. And then um, Zimbabwe. I, I'm assuming you went to the the big. Uh, wasn't there a giant concert there? Is that? No, that's that's later. That's later. The Zimbabwe concert, the Graceland. Gotcha. Did, didn't Bob gotcha. Marley do something though in in Zimbabwe as well with uh, with Paul? Not remember it, but I remember vaguely seeing a picture of uh, Muhammad Ali and 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 Bob Marley in Zimbabwe. I thought at some point in history, I'll have to look that up. But please tell me how how you got there. Yeah, 1982, um, I joined another band. It's called the Varukweru. My cousin played drums, and he played on the Graceland, Bus Kumalo. So we formed a band, and then we go to Zimbabwe. Uh, uh, first, Bulawai, which is the town before Zimbabwe. So we got a gig there, and then we played. At that time, now we're playing, like, you know, stuff we're hearing from the radio. George Benson, Cooling the Gang, 
-hmm. you know, Lionel Rich, you know, like, and then we start to look different too, <laughs> you know, like we could get our hair done, you know, so that we can be Americans in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Right, right. So, so I got, we got a gig to go and play in Zimbabwe, we were playing all that stuff, you know, more Brothers Johnson, and for me, the slapping, everything, it was like, okay, this song is about the bass. And then now we go to Zimbabwe, and then we play in Zimbabwe in Bulawa. And the first night we got kicked out because I was singing, I was singing, I think, Shining Star from uh, the Edwin Fire, and he was dancing with the owner's wife. And the owner was not in, inside the club, I think he was somewhere. When he came back, he saw this guy dancing with his wife, and then that's how we got kicked out. Because oh, he said he has never seen anybody dance, uh, uh, dance with the, you know, a different race <laughs> like that and then we got kicked out so that's wow. when we went to zimbabwe because the staff from uh the place where we got kicked out they said no zimbabwe is not too far from here and it's 24 hours it's like new york you go there everything is open clubs you know people hanging out you know. so we went to zimbabwe and then that's when we got stuck for eight months now but for me, it was about really music and where's the local people, what the music they play, I want to learn. You know, and I spent time with the local people and I learned the Shona, all kinds of stuff that they play with Thomas Mafume and, uh, you know, all these Zimbabwean superstars. So that time, and then after eight months, I got another trip to come back to Johannesburg to record traditional. South African um, music, like Boy in the Bubble, that group, Dawya Matsaka, Sutu. And, uh, and then the next thing, just climbing. So just learning, learning. Today I'm still learning. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds like, you know, that the world was your school and, and you were uh, just soaking up everything possible. Sorry. Yeah. I said every year was a college for me because I've never been to school but music and schooling myself. So I want to I want to bring this up, and I know that you know you, you probably get tired of t of talking about it or hearing the same questions perhaps about this, but um, I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up. I mean, Graceland from Paul Simon is. Um, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree, one of the most important albums of the last 40 or 50 years. Um, I, I say that from a fan perspective because um, we had already heard uh, Paul Simon bring some different influences into his music on his earlier albums, Latin influences. Um, <clears throat> and he seemed to be able to pull it off without looking too much like he was appropriating. He, he, it seemed to be a reciprocal kind of a, arrangement and, he, and his interest in the styles of music seemed to be very genuine. He's not just taking it because he doesn't know how to write a song, <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> uh, or that it's all he's got. You know, he, ha he, ha he was very successful as a songwriter and he, and he still pushed into these areas. So, but when Graceland hit and when and Saturday Night Live was instrumental in this with, with Ladysmith Black Mombaza performing, um, I remember on on an on an earlier tour. In in the process of that, he opened up my eyes, and many people's eyes, I think, to the music of Africa and music of South Africa and and that style and and rhythm, like a, a different rhythm, 
or or a prioritization of rhythm as as uh, Christian Scott has mentioned to us before. Um, and that was huge. So I want to know how, how, how you met, you know, how, how you got the gig. Uh, and just, you know, after 35 years, how do you look back on it, on that, on that album? Man, I'm going to start from the beginning of that project. Now, um, before that project, I was the session musician, you know, working with the local traditional stuff because I really wanted to learn the culture without talking to them, but musically, because since I'm a musician. So um, so I would play with uh, Zulus, Sutus, Kosas, Tswanas, Shangan, Berin, Debena, every, you know, like every session from the traditional you know, I play with those people. And first I learned from them, what, how you want me to play this music? I want to be part of this project. So just I'll play some stuff. They trusted me because they see me playing with a lot of people, you know? So they're like, hey, look, we'll give you the song. You do what you do. But my thing is that I love that because then I started to hear the things in the song. It's not just about my bass part, but my bass part is to bring whatever is, is, is there. So now I will record with this uh, traditional, but the person who introduced uh, Paul to the South African music was Hilton Rosenthal. And Hilton was like a, a biggest producer in South Africa and he had a record company, Ovation Studio in Johannesburg. So I used to spend a lot of session while I'm looking for the job, my mother, she's sick, and then I'm in the studio a couple of hours. The pay was not the greatest, but but it was just amazing to go to the studio and record and hear yourself back, you know, and then I can talk to, you know, my friends and and all that stuff. But by doing that for a long time and uh, just one day changed my game because uh, when, you know, Hilton sent the music to Paul, Paul loved the stuff. And I mean, he has, he has never had this, kind of, you know, kind of grooves. And he loved it. And and then he took off. He just said, hey, look, I'm just going to go there. They don't know me. I don't know them. You know, we'll see what happens. Because this man is a musician, first of all. He plays amazing guitar. He's just, I mean, like, unbelievable. Once I find out about him, and I learned a lot about this man, he was born to play music, it doesn't matter, you know, but some of the music comes with trouble because it's like in South Africa. He came there to take an advantage of musicians, but musicians never saw that, you know. Only the organization saw that there was stuff that was not good, but for us it was the opportunity that here's a chance I've, I've been given. And I mean, I've played music for organization, for free, they don't even give me a taxi, a taxi money to take it right, go home, you know, but they cannot tell me when a, a biggest opportunity like that to, to come here to say no. Mm -hmm. They want it for their benefit, but for us as musicians, it's like, I want the world to hear me. You know, I've worked all these years ducking rubber bullet and tear gas, you know, and you know, all that. Now the opportunity has been given, I'm taking it. And okay. so, and then for me, we just took it to land, and I didn't even know who Paul was. Mm. But I show up in the studio to say the bass is gonna speak the language. I couldn't even speak English, <laughs> you know, back then, and I was quiet. But now the very interesting thing about that project 
the recording companies, you know, South African recording companies, they brought their own people to be part of the project because they see the opportunity for themselves, not for the musician. Hmm. But, you know, Paul knew what exactly he wanted. He wanted musicians who can play, who can communicate. And for me, they saw something, and I came with a sound that nobody had in South Africa. I was, I mean, the fretless player. Like, I, I play two notes, it will make sense, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. I had to replace all these bass players from the record company that they were sending. They come with like five strings and, you know, slapping the bass like crazy without, you know, it's like, that's not needed. Me, I played what was needed. First, the sound was more important for me. And, you know, it got better because also I wanted to learn. Now I'm working with American. I'm not worried about, you know, the system, what they think about us working with Paul. No, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. Yep. And I will take it. I own it. That's, that's beautiful. We are, we are all glad you did. Album. Um, you're you're here. You're in the Philadelphia area, uh, and, and you know we're ha we're we are very lucky to have you in in our region. I appreciate it. Um, but you've uh, you met you met a you met a local musician, Maxfield Gast, correct? And and how did the yeah. the idea come up to do the? You know, let's talk a little bit about the sessions and how this came about. You know. Um... The last few tours that I did, you know, with Paul, and I, that's when I started to write, you know, and now that I have, you know, the gadgets, you know, uh, one of my friends from Apple got me a computer and logic, and then I started to put all these ideas on tours, and then, but, you know, I always find a good story because when I see a homeless person struggling, I'll give a dollar or two and then talk to the person, tell me your story, what is your story? Because I see this person, this person has got the story that I need to hear. Mm. And uh, so I would listen to the the people and then give them, them my clothes. So every, every time we get like two or three days off, then I look for the local people. You know, sometimes rent a bike and just go do my laundry, just like a, a, a local person and find these stories and then go back to my hotel room and then put piece by piece, piece here, piece there. And then a couple of years later, we got hit with this pandemic and then, uh, and then that's when I started to be home a lot and then started to figure out my studio stuff because I have the equipment, but I never get a chance to use it because I'm traveling. Because you're on the road, yeah. I'm on the road a lot, and then I don't even see my family. My kids, they're growing without me being present, but at least they're eating, they, you know, they're doing their thing. It's just that my present is being missed, going to the parks and things, things that sometimes when I have a day off and I said, man, I wish I was with my kids. Now with the, you know, technology, we can see each other and say, hey, I'm in Dublin or whatever, the, the country. But 
But during the pandemic, and then I said, let me put this stuff together. And I started to really make sense and my arrangement are getting better than when I, where I started. That, you know, now it's not about the bass and try to make like a solo bass record. No, let me make songs, me being under these songs, because since I play with a lot of singers and a lot of leaders that, you know, been the foundation, let me try that and not do too much of the solo because it's already been done. And my songs are stories because of where I came from and, and you know, what I've seen all these years and still growing to it, mm -hmm. you know, and what's happening now. So the pandemic, I mean, it just reminded me of a different life in South Africa, and but it, it gave me a lot of power to find out who I am as a person and pay attention of what's going on. And I stop going out and sometimes I question people or my friends, hey, did you get vaccinated? And all these things, because I want to be with you. I want to hang out, but you know, I want to make sure that we, we all safe yeah. and we learning this together. I, mean, I didn't know anything about this. So I learned, so I started to take care of myself. And Max, now, when, when I send the stuff to Max, that's when he says to me, listen, this stuff sounds great, but it's chaotic, man. You know, if you want me to play on this, you know, I'm going to take this apart. This, that, that, you know, he's going to fix it. And I said, okay, go ahead. First, I sent him a track by accident. And then he listened and he liked the track, but he wanted to fix it. I can't remember, maybe whether it was Nice Day or in one of the songs. And uh, and then that's when we started, and then we started talking about, you know, he gave me a lot of ideas that I didn't know, because as a sideman, I've been just playing and writing songs, and, you know, one time I was signed with GRP, I mean, um, a, a producer who worked for GRP, Mike Landy, and uh, with Steve Kahn was my producer, and he helped me to you know, get some, some stuff, and I did two records with those guys, and Jason Miles, so that way, when I saw Max and talked to Max and worked with Max, that's where I knew, like, this guy, he's thinking like me because he, he's, he likes everything, but he wants to make sure that, you know, it's, it's, it's stay organic and not overproduced. Mm -hmm. And he did it. He did it. He just wanted to make sure, like, this is, it's, it's got to be your story. This, the, the album is, is the story because when you hear you think, you know, where I came from, even though I have influences from different people. When I play Fredless, people, they think it's Jack or Marcus Miller. Those guys, they be, they be, they're my teachers. Mm -hmm. They're my teachers, but music, it's a whole different thing. You know, I'm not sounding like anybody. <laughs> and I got a lot of good friends and good musicians playing on this record, you know, uh, dramas, piano, keyboard players, and saxophones. I mean, it, it's a lot. You know, it's the kind of album that when you listen to it, it's not but just the groove, but the things that's happening in between, in the middle of the song. You know, all these elements, all these, you know, kalimba and everything. It's unbelievable. It's pretty... It's, and this it's, is all amazing people also. Yes, the, I mean, it, it, it's very clear. We're going to reveal that that list at a later date uh, of the personnel, but it's very lush. And and I I hear, you know, we I hear different styles from song to song. Um, you know, 
you can use the terms. There's jazz, there's a little bit of avant-garde in here, and a couple of the tracks are just like very, very uh, eclectic, and then some basic, beautiful songs. Uh, it seems like everything kind of starts with a mood, like you have some sort of story or feeling in, that you want to express. Is that accurate? Yeah, it, it, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot that the fact that, you know, where I left my home 35 years later, um, I'm, I'm here. So I split my years in, in two with amazing, beautiful country that I love very much. I was born in South Africa and then I grew up in America. And uh, mm. so my playing is that what I left behind, where I'm going, ah. you know, and this is to go forward past the torch. That's why I'm working with music mentors. Like two days ago, I was working with these kids that I started the music mentors with them 2019 and then we got hit with the pandemic, but they never lose focus. They keep, you know, talking to me to say, let's do the Zoom, <laughs> you know, they connect me. And then we started talking about how to practice, how I got to this far, because I'm, I'm the story. I'm the person who can help them without going to school. That school can give you this much, but it's you. You have to be yourself, you know, and, and take what the school they give you. Because also that example came from my daughters. Now my daughters, they're both teachers. They're working really hard. They saw the future since they were babies. I played them the bass and I said, I've never read the book, but here's what I have. This is my book. <laughs> wow. And I'll play this. And then they wake up every day, they go to the piano, and then we end up playing the games about the piano. Okay, you give me a C note and a G, we've got ice cream today. And they will remember that because they need the ice cream, they go to the piano and play. Today, they're music teachers. Wow. You know, and... Uh, but, you know, my songs, really, they're telling the story without talking, because really, I mean, now I'm speaking English a little bit well, you know. But when I started, it was, it was not good, but I had to learn so I can communicate with the family. That I'm still learning, playing all the different sessions, playing with Mickey Hart, the Irish music, Heavy Hancock. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, just learning. I'm still learning, learning, learning. It never ends. That's beautiful, uh, you know, and I, I, the last thing I did have to talk about was Next Generation, and, and I guess, um, you know, you've stated that the album is your story and a story that you can pass on to to uh, younger younger people. I do urge people to kind of go to, you know, maybe not a sanctioned news source, but Wikipedia and various other places and, and even YouTube to go back and look, you know, find the Hugh Masekela song uh, about Nelson Mandela. You know, it, it, there's a rich history in here uh, that people can discover in the process. But um, you mentioned, you know, wor working with younger people. Um, what do you think is the most consistent thing that you that you want to pass on to them? Like, what is there... Is there something you say to them each, like to a person each time, you know, that everybody yes. gets this message, you know? Yes. You know, I tell the kids, uh, first of all, we start with the make of the instruments. That you play the instruments with an understanding. It's not about making money, but it's about understanding because the instrument is that all the tones and once you spend time, especially, you know, guitar player, bass players, I talk to them and say, listen, before you play a song, 
make sure your sound is good because when your sound is good then you relax you're going to play more beautiful you know the song is there you know the song but there's something wrong about the sound but also too it's very important for you as a kid to learn how to put this instrument together understand it because we need scientists you're growing and those scientists that they build this instrument that you're playing everybody's moving forward you know we, we're all getting up there and you the next generation so just play thinking that instrument is your office if you want to do it well but if you do it for fun then i'm not sure you know but understand it <laughs> you know you cannot just get in the car and start driving you know your mirrors are looking different places now you want to make sure that you clear and then you take off you know and then let's play the music when you play the music you listen to each other the song is five minutes long you don't overplay you have to know other people's part so you can help out if somebody's struggling so you work as a team and uh, this kid uh, these kids are doing it you know i started in long island and now some of these kids are recording they doing shows you know because they understand if they want to play some of them it's the parents that's sometimes different because the parents are like hey look hey, play music for fun but i want you to be the doctor or this and that right, right. and that's confusing so but you know if the father is spending money for the kid to go and be a doctor you kind of thinking like okay you know i want to play music but now you know my dad you know yeah you know some of the kids they've been supported by their parents and the ones that they supported by the parents to play music they show like I just did this thing with the kids. They haven't been playing in a long time now because of this pandemic. And then we have a show coming up with the Graceland Experience September 12th. So I called the school that I work with them to say, look, I need some of those kids who are available. Let's work together. I'll be available to the practice to make sure that they remember something because I want them to continue with playing. You know, if they want to do this, they're going to open for us as the Graceland playing three songs and show people that what they miss and you know and what I'm building for me because it's really about them you know it's about them to make sure that you raise another greatness of uh, uh, generations of the kids because yep. once they learn from you good thing they'll take it you know so so it's amazing and I'm looking forward to work with these kids and now I'm putting the band together of seven musicians to uh play this music yeah let's mention the shows while we're on here so september 12th is happening where it's happening at the art quest um in bethlehem pennsylvania and the venue is called levitt pavilion okay and uh, we're gonna play tools with the graceland experience and why the graceland experience because you know, people, they know I played on that Graceland and some young musicians from Philadelphia, they put the band together playing that music hmm. to show this music. how It's becoming educational because of the story behind the music and then the fun playing on top of it. Yeah. So they learn all the, but they didn't have the bass player. So they called me to say, hey, look, we need you to come and listen to us. Bring your bass and play if you like, <laughs> you know, they're the luckiest. The luckiest cover band in the world. <laughs> they got you and to play. I show up and I'm holding my bass and I'm not playing and they playing the first song they play and I said, no, I got to jump in. And then I plug in my bass and then we took off. Nice. And we've been playing a couple of shows and Ryan Tennis and, uh, and, and the Graceland crew. 
And, uh, you know, this is about honor Paul and then honor the musicians who are now left us, Joseph Shabalala, uh, Huma Sikela, you know, Ray Peary, the mastermind of the Graceland guitar, you know, and all these people that they gone. I'm, I'm here to represent them. And if there's young people playing this music from these people, they are alive. Hmm. They are alive, you know. Yes. Because the story has been told and it's been told by me. And then the next generation is going to tell the story about this music, you know. So it, it's about honoring and building the legacy and teaching the next generation. I love it. I mean, it's so important. Technology, I think, is finally coming around to being a facilitator yeah. of oral tradition instead of killing it, right? There was a point at which it was just like everything disappeared. But now with Zoom and, and these kinds of things, we're all yeah. connected. We're able to, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me, get that story from you. Yeah, you know, technology is amazing. I mean, I couldn't have met my sister uh, of 50 years not knowing each other until the technology. You good? The one thing you do not want to happen in the middle of a, a conversation. But there it is. Uh, I'm human. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, and, and that's, I, I enjoy this part. I, I like that... Um, I mean, I guess I just want to say to an audience, there are there are thousands of stories. Uh, and right here, right now, uh, we have someone who's lived the history, who knows the ancestors and the lineage and can, you know, context is extremely important for humans. And this is this is great context. I think you're also you have a show in in. Uh, at the Brooklyn Bowl, I saw October. Yeah. Yeah, October, I'm going to be a base judge, you know, because as like, you know, like I said, the, we're still mentoring, no matter how, you know, different style. Right now, we're going to have solo bass concert that was put together by my favorite strings company, La Bella, the strings that I played on the Graceland, and they now become partners with them, you know, to keep that sound alive. And now they're going to have a bass content and uh, with solo bass, and I'm going to be a judge. And then after that, I think I'm going to be flying to Los Angeles for uh, a Bagiri Kumalo hangout release party story, you know, uh, to play at the Heb Albert uh, Club. It's oh, nice. Beautiful. Vibrato. And then another show uh, on the 9th uh, after that. And then, you know, on the 10th, I think it's my friend Jonathan Butler birthday and he's inviting me to come hang out with them so it but mainly i'm going to be hanging out with jonathan and then two three days later i'm going to be in nashville there's another band in nashville playing the graceland with scott marvel hill great bass player i mean who learned all my bass parts from graceland this, this guy scared the heck out of me you know, he invited me and i go to uh, nashville and he started playing these songs and i was like wait a minute you know, he played the really the the original way that we recorded because you now with Paul we've been playing so many years and things they've been changing uh, a lot of times and this guy is still playing the organic way. 
So I'm going to be playing with him a couple of songs. He's inviting me. So for me, it's to tell the story about my album coming up with my family, Ropodo. How is he and, handling and so? How is he handling the the bass run? In in, you can call me out because I read about that. It's pretty crazy. It's crazy, but you know, if you're you you study music, you write music, you're gonna sit down and stay overnight. I, I see a lot of people are doing that. They they writing the bass line down. They're getting exactly, you know, me, you know, I add some little life thing because it's life, you know, sometimes the tempo is much faster than me, you know, so I have to just get through it, you know, but young players, they can sit down and, and, and take the speed down and, and just really learn because when you listen to it, it's a mirror of myself because I play and then they cut the same thing, you know, backwards. And ran it so backwards, yeah. You can... Yeah, it's just the tempo, that the tempo is, is a little bit of a problem because if it's really fast, then it's hard to really dig in. But when you write it down and you have the speed, like this guy, I mean, they, they get it. They get it. So I'm doing that and then come back and then do the um, a show in New Jersey at Music Den to demo some uh, bass that played on the record because that's another thing that's important. I want people to know that these shows, it's not just like, you know, getting people and just go hang out, but it's about the instruments that was used on this project. And those people, they're supporting me to to play and do those clinics so that people can hear this product mm. on the cable. Because also, too, it, it's about the quality. My record, it's about the quality. Everything was quality. If it's not quality, I'm not ready. You know, it has to be quality to be ready. So now I'm telling the sponsors, the bass, the bass amp, the cable, the strings. It, it, man, it's all, it's all so beautiful. Because really they supported me during the pandemic while I was home. They're sending me the gear to keep creating. And that they saved me. Excellent. So by going out and playing forever. Yeah. So um, we we will put uh, in in the notes to this uh, some of those dates where people and places you will be where people can can find you and uh, see you. And again, the record is out on October twenty seventh, uh, twenty twenty one, with pre order on nine seventeen. I'm gonna uh, go out with uh, a little taste of the track, the single, uh, the first single, uh, "Happy Village," uh, as we leave, but. Lakiti Kamalo, it, it is just, uh, it's such an honor. I want to thank you for spending time with us and thank you for, for getting your story uh, into, into, into music and, and recorded and, and ready for the world and for teaching the next generation. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. You know, Happy Village is, we need that right now. We need Happy Village. So here, yes, Happy Village. All right.